Our scripture this morning is from St. John chapter 19. As we continue our study through the Gospel of John, John chapter 19, we'll read verses 31 to 42. Would you please stand for the reading of the Holy Scripture? John 19 and verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of His Holy Word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for Your Word. And we pray that as we look to Your Word, that we would see Your Son. For the Scriptures are they which testify of Him, that we might go to Him and have eternal life. And so we pray that we would hear the voice of our Good Shepherd and follow Him and know Him, and in following Him have eternal life, that no one could pluck us out of His hand or your hand. So meet with us and speak to us and bless us, we pray, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Be seated, please. What came out of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? What was the outcome of the death of the Son of God? In the passage before us, John devotes nearly as many words to what took place immediately after the crucifixion as he devoted to the crucifixion itself. These details that took place 
between the crucifixion and the resurrection we may be tempted to view as an interlude, just some filler between the major events of the crucifixion and the resurrection, like some folk in the big cities view the rest of the country as so-called flyover territory. Now John will tell us in the remaining chapters that he left out many things Jesus did. In fact, he says if everything Jesus did were written down, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In other words, John necessarily had to be selective when he wrote his gospel. So if he chose to include any detail, he had a specific purpose for it. And here John includes these particular details in order to show us what came out of the crucifixion of Jesus. Let's look at it. First in this passage, you see that the purpose of God came out of the crucifixion. Look at verse uh, 31. Since it was a day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now, Romans customarily left victims of crucifixion on the cross for days. They would let the bodies hang there and rot. And depending on the victim, it could take a long time finally to die on a cross. But there was a law in Deuteronomy 21 that said if someone was guilty of a capital offense and was executed by hanging, that he was to be buried the same day. His body was not to be left hanging on a tree overnight. It would defile the land. And Jesus was crucified on a Friday. The next day was the Sabbath. And being the week of the Passover, it was a high Sabbath. And presumably, these Jews did not want the land defiled on the high holy day. So they asked Pilate to have the three victims crucified, their legs broken, so they could go ahead and bury them before nightfall and the high uh, holy Sabbath day would not be defiled. Breaking the legs would cause immediate death. The victim could not then uh, push up enough with his feet to shift the pressure off his diaphragm and would quickly asphyxiate. However, the shock of having his legs beaten with a club until broken would likely finish him off anyway. So verse 32, the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and any other who had been crucified with him, but when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. Now look at verse 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. John says this fulfills two scriptures. First, Psalm 34 and verse 20, he quotes, which describes the Lord's care for the righteous. 
it says not one of his bones is broken. The previous verse says, uh, Psalm uh, 34, 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then it says not one of his bones shall be broken. Now John quotes Psalm 34, and that shows us a number of things. It shows us Jesus was the righteous man, and the Lord would ultimately deliver him even from death. But it also shows us, as John used Old Testament prophecy to show us earlier in the crucifixion, if you remember the previous message, he's showing us that everything is happening according to the eternal purpose and plan of God. Everything is under his control and working out his saving purpose. It was written and had to be fulfilled. God had planned this. Then the second quote there in verse 37, they will look on him whom they have pierced. It's from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. That's an interesting prophecy. You might want to turn to that one. Zechariah is the next to the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, If you want to turn it up. And we're going to read Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 and then look a little bit at the surrounding context. Zechariah 12, 10. God said, the Lord said, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Now you notice here, if you're looking at Zechariah 12.10, that the Lord says, first they will look on me. And then in apposition to that, it says, on him whom they have pierced. A plain reading of Zechariah 12.10 is that the Lord himself will be pierced. And that's exactly what has happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord God Almighty, but he has become flesh. And in his flesh, he has been pierced. If you're in Zechariah, turn ahead to Zechariah 13 and verse 1. Same, Same prophecy says, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Now hold on to that, that image of a fountain being open of cleansing from sin. And now look down to Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now, it says, strike the shepherd. Jesus had said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd has been struck. He has laid down his life for the sheep. 
But again, the point is, back to John 19, 36, the point of this is that the Scripture might be fulfilled. The death of Jesus is fulfilling the eternal plan of God for the salvation of His people. And so once again, John is showing us that this is still under divine control. Even now that Jesus is dead, we are still in accordance with the Scripture. God is still on the throne and His purposes are still working out even with the Son of God hanging dead on a tree. You see that the purpose of God came out of the crucifixion. Secondly, in this passage, you see that forgiveness came out of the crucifixion. Look at verse 34 again. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Now, Zechariah, if you remember, Zechariah 13, 1, that same prophecy, had said, think about it, they will pierce the Lord, and then he says, a fountain would be open to cleanse from sin in that day. Here's the fountain open. John 19, 34. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. John will go on to say that the blood of Jesus cleanseth us from all sin. From the very beginning, he had told us Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. How the sacrifice of a lamb work? You sinned. And your sin was symbolically transferred to the Lamb. The Lamb bore the death penalty in your place as your substitute. But the Lamb, bearing your sin, had to be slain. Blood had to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And now Jesus has died. The soldier pierces his side and blood comes out. Sure, we know if you pierce someone, he will bleed. That's common sense, common knowledge. Why does John state the obvious? He wants to show us that forgiveness and cleansing of sin come from the death of Jesus. The central truth of our religion is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yes, forgiveness is free for the asking, But forgiveness is not based on our asking. It is based on the work of Jesus Christ. It's based on His death, His blood. That's where it comes from. What came out of the crucifixion? The purpose of God. Forgiveness. Thirdly, you see that the Holy Spirit came out of the crucifixion of Jesus. Look at verse 34 one more time. 
But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. John says blood and water came out of the side of Jesus when they pierced him. Now, there have been all kinds of medical explanations for why there was water as well uh, as blood. And it was uh, certainly medically possible. This really happened. But John is making a far bigger point here. Did you know that there is water in almost every chapter of the Gospel of John? Let me give you just a few examples. Jesus told Nicodemus he must be born of water and the Spirit. He needed to be born again, cleansed in his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. He told the woman at the well that if she drank of the living water, that she would never be thirsty again. A paralyzed man could not get into the water at the pool at Bethesda, but Jesus healed him. Then later he told the people that if anyone was thirsty, let him come to Jesus and drink, and out of his heart would flow rivers of living water, and that he was speaking to the Holy Spirit. Then he healed a man born blind by sending him to wash mud off his eyes in the waters of Siloam. The living water is the Holy Spirit whom Jesus would give. He performed his miracles by the power of the Spirit. When he healed the paralyzed man, he was saying, you don't need the water of Bethesda. You need the water that I give, the Holy Spirit. Later, when, later he used the waters of Siloam to demonstrate to the man born blind the power of the Spirit by which Jesus opened his eyes. He told Nicodemus that unless a man is born again by the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the living water, the Holy Spirit, opened the eyes of a man born blind. And Jesus said, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me will have a spring of living water welling up in your heart. And now Jesus is dead. His side is pierced. And what comes out? Water. The living water is coming out of his heart. Jesus is showing us that, or John is showing us that the death of Jesus has secured the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to cleanse us and gives us new birth and quench our thirst and bind us spiritually, mystically, inseparably and really to Himself. And open our eyes that we may see and enter his kingdom because he died. We who were by nature estranged from God by sin, banished, unable to enter his presence, now have the very life of God in our souls because Jesus died. Go back to John 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, 
I thirst. What did Jesus told the woman at the well? Whoever drinks the water that I give will never be thirsty. John 7, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now you see in his death, Jesus took our thirst, our spiritual emptiness and bankruptcy, our sin and estrangement from God. And out of his death, out of his heart, came rivers of living water. The gift of the Holy Spirit that in coming to Jesus we might have those very rivers of living water. That same Spirit from His heart welling up in our own souls. Now another thing about the water. The prophet Ezekiel said that one day there would be a new temple. Of course the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple when they sacked Jerusalem. Ezekiel said one day there would be a new temple. Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple when the exiles returned, but it was nothing compared to Ezekiel's prophecy of the new temple. And the last several chapters of Ezekiel go into great detail about this magnificent new temple. But fascinatingly, Ezekiel says after he sees this magnificent new temple, he says that a trickle of water will come out of the threshold of this temple. And that this trickle of water kept on going. And the further it goes, the bigger it gets until finally a mighty river is issuing from this trickle of water at the temple. He says you can't get across that river, it's so huge. He says that everything that swims in the water of that river that comes out of the temple lives. He says that all the water that comes into that river, there's salt water, dead water coming into that river and that water becomes fresh. And he says that all the trees that grow on the banks of that river bear fruit that brings healing to all that eat of that fruit. Now think with me. At the beginning, John said that the Word, Jesus, He became flesh and dwelt among us. And if you remember, we said that that meant He tabernacled among us. That's the original temple was the, was the tabernacle. And then you remember that Jesus cleansed the temple in Jerusalem and said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And John says that Jesus spoke of the temple of his flesh. Jesus is the true temple. And out of his side when they pierced it, what came? Water. Jesus is the true temple, the true lamb, the true sacrifice. And out of him, out of the true temple, comes a mighty river of living water, the Holy Spirit. So what came out of crucifixion? The purpose of God, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit 
And fourthly and finally, eternal life came out of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been yet laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Notice these two men that buried Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea says he had followed Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Now he's come out in public. And verse 39, look who's back. Nicodemus. He's one of the subplots of John. You remember that famous passage, he had come to Jesus by night. And Jesus told him that he needed to be born again and Nicodemus had no idea what Jesus was talking about though he was the teacher of Israel. And then later on, you remember when the council wanted uh, to kill Jesus, Nicodemus shows up briefly again and spoke up and, and said basically, let's give the man due process of law before we do him in. Not much. But Nicodemus was trending in the right direction. But now, John 19, 39, Nicodemus comes out. He's publicly declaring himself a believer in Jesus. Do you remember what the last thing Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 15 was? He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should have eternal life. Now here, Nicodemus sees Jesus, the Son of Man, lifted up. And Nicodemus took the body of Jesus off the cross. Do you see? Nicodemus literally embraced Jesus on the cross. Our shorter catechism says that when God calls us to salvation, that we embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Now that's faith, embracing Jesus Christ. A faith embrace. Nicodemus here gives us a literal demonstration of faith. He literally embraces the crucified Jesus. Now, am I reading this in to the passage? No. 
This is John's meaning. Look at verse 35. This is what he intends us to get out of it. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. Why? Why is he telling us this? That you also may believe. John is calling us to believe. And he brings up Nicodemus taking the body of Jesus to show us how to believe. Embrace him. Embrace the crucified Savior. The Son of Man must be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him may have eternal life. Friends, there is life in the death of Jesus. Eternal life came out of His crucifixion. Come out of your thirst and emptiness and sin and embrace the crucified Savior by faith and find forgiveness, cleansing, rivers of living water. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.